Welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and today I've got uh, my guest Dawn, and we are recording this on a beautiful, lovely Black Friday. Yes, it's almost it's like 63 degrees outside. Yeah, I mean, I was outside earlier, and it's like I actually had to unzip my jacket because it was mm-hmm. nice. Which around this time of year, of course, it can go either way, where sometimes it's mildly pleasant, other times it's like, yeah, it sucks. Well, I did the turkey trot yesterday morning. It was 29 degrees, so this is quite a difference. <laughs> yes, very much. It's like, so yeah, and I understand we were talking a little bit before how you went out and you braved the crowds to uh Yeah, I was, your... the, I was the jerk that went shopping on Thanksgiving evening, so. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know, there's, there's nothing I need that badly that I'm going to get up at three in the morning to go fight the crowds for, and. I remember, what's weird is like when I was a kid, when I was in high school, I worked at Sears, and our Black Friday was only like two hours earlier than the normal, mm-hmm. you know, day that, um, you know, than our normal business hours. So it was, we were open seven to nine instead of nine to nine. So yeah, it's, I know, but we're not going to get into the whole thing about, well, should retailers be open on this early, but we're not going to be talking about anything black today. We're going to be talking about things that are in shades of gray, and that is uh, the next in the series we've been doing about the uh, Manual of the Plains in First Edition and some of the mythological and cultural stuff behind the planes. We're going to be talking about, well, they call it Hades, but in later editions they called it the Three Glooms, and it is the three-realmed plane of Hades, well, actually they call it Pluton, um, Oyanos and Niflheim. So first, before we go into the Manual of the Plains, um, the let's we're going to start by talking a little bit about some of the uh, Hades and Helen mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as far as I could tell, Oyanos uh, it's Greek for wine, but yep. it doesn't there doesn't seem to be any place names that are no yeah it's, it's just wine. Which, I don't know why they would associate wine with uh, the, you know, with a place associated with death and, and despair. Creative license? I don't know. Well, if you drink too much wine, you might, you know, like, go into despair. And if you drive, you might die. So I guess there's that. Yeah, I guess. Oh, the Greeks cut their wine, too. Like, it was, like, half and half with water. So, okay. I don't know. Well, let's, I'm going to start by talking a little bit about Hades in Greek mythology, and so I'm going to start by going over a little bit about what I learned in school, and then Dawn is going to take over and tell me how that's all wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were talking a few years ago, and I remember you mentioned that like a lot of the stuff that we, the way they present Greek stuff or Greek mythology in popular culture isn't always in agreement with how it is in primary sources. Right. So, from what I recall in school, um, the first in Greek, in Greek culture back then, you're always buried with a coin in your mouth. And you always had to make sure that the dead got a proper burial, because if they were unburied, then you know their ghosts would roam the, the earth and possibly come back and haunt people. And I forgot which one of the Greek tragedies it was in but there was one i think it may have been seven against thebes but there was one where one of the warriors had you know the the, this character had died and they wouldn't let his family bury him 
stole one of his relatives, I think it was his sister, snuck out and, you know, threw a handful of sand on him as like a symbolic burial. So Oedipus's daughters okay. buried their son. So that would be it would be Antigone and um Ismene buried um uh Polynice, one of the sons. Because Creon wouldn't allow them to be buried. So yeah, it's a seven seven the uh, seven against, seven against Thieves. Thieves. Yeah. Okay. But it's it's also talked about in the Oedipus trilogy of stories. I think I think it takes place in the uh is it Antigone? Is that the actual is that the play name, Sophocles play? I think it's Antigone. It's in. It's talked about in one of the plays, but yeah. Yeah, because I remember in college I had a class on classic and medieval literature, and uh, they, you know, they we talked, you know, we read several of the plays, and the he even showed us this video um, of this theater troupe that they do the plays and they do it in like the traditional style dress and using the masks mm-hmm. because. You know, back then they had the amphitheaters, and usually your characters, you or your actors, they wore these masks that had these highly exaggerated mouths because it would act kind of like a megaphone. It would allow your voice to carry a bit further. Yep. Um, so I thought that was interesting, and uh, you know, I can I can understand why they do that because if you're way up in the nosebleeds, um, you know, or the what would be the equivalent of the nosebleeder seats in the uh, in an ancient amphitheater, it would let you get a better idea of the characters and such. But So anyways, uh, so dead had to be buried with a coin in their mouth, and they would be led to the underworld by Hermes. And upon reaching the underworld, they would give a coin to Charon so that he would ferry them across the river Styx. And then they would have to pass through the gates of the underworld, which were guarded by Cerebus. And then the soul would be judged and sent to either Elysium, Tartarus, or, and I'm probably mispronouncing this, the Asphodel Meadows? Asphodel. Asphodel Meadows, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now that I told you what I remember about it from uh, Greek mythology, because I remember there was this book about Greek mythology I would check out a lot, and they usually pictured it as being, I said, very gray, and they pictured the, I remember there was this picture they showed, like, you know, these dead souls just kind of being blown around like leaves in the wind. Um, so why don't you tell us now the correct, or... <laughs> <laughs> well, Hermes wasn't the only psychopomp. There were a great deal, because you got to look at the list of things Hermes had to do. Um, he wasn't the only psychopomp. There were a great number of psychopomps. It had a lot to do with how you died, and and things like if your death was violent, if it was peaceful, and... A lot of psychopomps, though. Hermes, but that that's correct. Um, the whole coin for Karen. The River Styx part is wrong. I don't even know where that started, but it's not true. Um, the the whole the the river you go you get ferried across is the River Acheron, um, which that the uh, it's the first river in the underworld is Acheron. Even though Styx loops the underworld like seven or nine times, depending upon the material you're reading. Um, Acheron is the first one. That's the one you get ferried across. Um, and then there are the judges. You do get judged. There's several underworld judges. Um, and then it's, yeah, you go to Tartarus, and that's where people like Tantalus and all of them are receiving their eternal punishments. You know, Sisyphus, you had one job <laughs> with the yeah. rock. Because <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. I remember uh, you posted something on Facebook. It's like, who would win, a Greek king or a rock? Yeah. <laughs> 
trial against the gods or whatever. Um, and then, so yeah, there's Tartarus, there's Asphodel Meadows, which is just where your average wherever person goes. And then the only people that go to Elysium or the Elysian Fields are the the heroes. Like, you have to have had an extraordinary life to be worthy of the Elysian Fields, not just anybody went there. Yeah, because that's um, one of the things I remember is always they, they pictured Hades as being this, you know, dreary, gray place. And uh, it actually fits that they put Hades and uh, Hell from Norse mythology in this area. And we're going to be talking about Hell in a little bit before we go into the, you know, the Manual of the plane stuff. But uh, it's I seem to recall there was something about there was like a white laurel tree, and that was because of Persephone, um, which I, I assume that this legend is probably, the way that we always learn it in school, is probably pretty true to the primary sources where Hades decided to abduct uh, Persephone, took her into the underworld, winter occurs, and then eventually she's allowed to go out. Um, but because she ate the six pomegranate seeds, she still has to go down for a few months of the year. There's variations on it. It's like it's a lot more complex than he just took her. He had permission from Zeus to take her as a bride because she was Zeus's daughter, and Zeus was allowed to give her as a bride to his brother. Um, that was the way. Like it or not, that women were property. Like you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just like that's the legit thing. But they had to sidestep Demeter because Demeter had like issues with who her daughter was allowed to marry and it was kind of like well we have to take sister and, and and say let's do this in the shadiest way possible because she's not going to allow anybody to marry persephone so go and get her and we'll deal with her later we'll deal with our sister later was kind of how that rolled around but then you know she decided demeter had epic temper tantrum and let the world starve to death because apparently nobody was ever going to be good enough for her baby girl and that's just not how things worked that's not how things were ever going to work you just, you know, <laughs> so, um, and she's going to starve the world. And sometimes, sometimes it's six pomegranate seeds, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four. So it, it, you know, it, it varies a little bit depending upon the source. Um, I don't think she was wholly miserable because she could have made life quite miserable for him. He never really, there's no list of um, mistresses for Hades. Like Zeus and so he's Poseidon. Not like Zeus. <laughs> Zeus and Poseidon. He's got his list too. I mean, there, so I mean, I don't think uh, of ever of that whole family. I think he's probably got the healthiest relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Because I mean, I don't seem to recall hearing a lot of stories about uh, Hades. Uh, you know, sleeping around. It's usually Zeus is the one, and I don't. I never heard anything about uh, Poseidon uh, sleeping around. Oh, so. he's got a lot, actually. Yeah. There's yes. quite a few. Well, that's where the Medusa thing started. Is uh, a, that's because uh, was it um, Athena caught him and caught, caught Poseidon and Medusa, basically screwing around in his temple. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And the other legend I yeah, and the other legend I remember with um, and of course this is one of the more well-known Greek myths too, um, Orpheus, mm -hmm. where his Okay, her okay, her name is slipping me. Uh his his wife had died and, you know, went down and of course he went down to Eurydice. Yes. And how, you know, him playing his harp, uh pretty much everything in, in Hades stopped and uh they allowed him to 
take her back. However, the condition would be that he couldn't look back. He mm-hmm. had to, you know, he couldn't look at her until they got to the back to the upper world. And unfortunately, he grew impatient, turned around, looked at her, and then she was forced to go back. She so. was one step out of being completely out of the underworld when he finally turned around. It was like that one step. Just, just, just couldn't wait that other that that half a second more. Mm-hmm. So, kind of kind of feel sorry for the guy, but. And as far as the character of Hades, uh, yeah, those are the only two myths that I really recall that he was involved in. Um, so are there any other major myths regarding uh, Hades? There's the one with the basically drawing straws for who gets which realm. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like <laughs> he gets the short straw, essentially, and gets stuck with you know the underworld. Um, of course, you know, Zeus gets whatever he, whatever Zeus wants. It's just because how, how it seems to go. Um, baby brother always gets whatever baby brother wants. <laughs> That's just how it always works in every family. The youngest child always gets what the youngest child wants. Uh, it starts back in mythology. It never ends. See, and I thought I read in one book that he actually didn't mind because the underworld was also associated with wealth. It, it, because that's all the, well, initially he probably minded a great deal, but, um, they're all the, he also became associated with jewels and gold and silver because all the minerals were underground. Yeah, so that makes sense associating, uh, you know, a god of the underworld with wealth. Um, so, and I, I think we talked a little bit about it in our episode on Mount Olympus, how um, the Fiend Folio, not Fiend Folio, uh, legends and lore, deities and demigods, place them as neutral evil. So this, which, of course, the philosophy behind that is that, you know, you're always going to be out for yourself, but sometimes you might make it look like you're going to follow some sort of oath or code, but you have no problems with breaking them. So, and depending on who you ask, and of course, D&D players are going to debate about this all the time, but there are people that suggest that neutral evil is probably the closest to the purest form of evil. Because, you know, you look at it, someone who's chaotic evil, you pretty much know that they're, you know, they will stab you in the back if it'll, uh, if it'll fit their needs. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone who's lawful evil usually is going to have some sort of code. Um, a good example might be like, and actually one of my D&D groups I'm on, we were having a discussion about different characters and what alignment they would be in. Like for lawful evil, usually Magneto or Doctor Doom was brought up. Um, there were some people that were saying Deadpool would be chaotic evil, but I don't think I would necessarily agree with that. No, he's got he's he's got too many positive qualities that he'll help people that that suits other people far more than himself. Too many times. So. Yeah, because I guess I would always see Deadpool as more being chaotic neutral than yeah. than chaotic evil. Uh, definitely not chaotic good because. I still remember that line from the movie. I may be super, but I'm no hero. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you think that it's appropriate to put uh, Hades as neutral evil? I wouldn't give him I wouldn't give him an evil at all. And I think the th- I think the problem is too many people associate anything in a dark and especially in an underworld aspect with evil automatically. And I don't because the part of the problem is we automatically want to do that because we don't understand the motivations of anything associated with death mm-hmm. and and darkness. And it's our it's a human condition to want to put that in evil, especially coming from I will say everyone 
because uh, there's not many people not of a new generation, I say like new meaning millennial generation, that were not born in a Christianized household, um, where we don't associate dark underworld with that dark Satan side of Christianity that we grew up with. So we look at that and we automatically associate a little bit of evil in there. That's just a conditioning that we have. And But there's nothing in his motivations in mythology that are at all evil it's look this when you're dead the dead should stay dead that's just the rule that is the rule like the rule was okay don't turn around and look back he knew that orpheus was going to turn around and look behind him so that eurydice was never going to leave but he gave him the option but he knew it wasn't going to go through he knew it wasn't going to happen yeah the other oh yeah there's one other uh, myth i remember with uh hades in uh with ophiuchus who was this great doctor that it said that he could cure any disease and could even bring people back oh uh what's the other name uh his his greek name asclepius yes that's what i know it began with an a yeah i just couldn't pronounce it but uh as i recall from that uh he killed him yeah hades asked i thought hades asked zeus to kill him well either way he was had a hand in the death after he found out he could resurrect yeah life yeah (laughs) and and again it's apollo's son yeah because the And I get what you were saying before is that where, you know, I think I agree where, uh, you know, if we're looking at Hades from a strict, you know, classical mythology, you know, he's, I would almost say more lawful neutral Mm -hmm. because, okay, death is, it's just a, you know, a normal part of life. So, you know, you're not being sent to Hades out of anything personal. And, you know, while you, whatever deeds brought you there, that's where, that determined whether what area you got sent to, mm-hmm. whether you did go to Elysium and the Isles of the Blessed, or you would be punished in uh, how's Tatter uh, Tatterus or Tartarus? Tartarus. Okay, that's how it was. <laughs> um, or the Asphodel. Okay, I, I Asphodel. Asphodel. It's okay. Asphodel. The meadows. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just call it the meadows. Where again, if you didn't, you weren't exceptionally heroic, but you know you weren't really that bad. So again, kind of that gray existence. And I remember with Tartarus, the uh, main there's three punishments that I do remember in there from for uh, various characters. We talked a little bit about uh, Sisyphus with the rock. Yep, and then. I think it was Ioxen who was tied to the, this wheel that would always go around, and the only time it stopped is when um, Orpheus was playing his, his his harp, or was it a lyre? It was a lyre, but yeah, his, yeah, there's music. Yeah, it's a type of harp, so yeah. And then the other one, I forgot the name of the guy, but the punishment was that uh, he was forced to stand in a stream, and there was a you know a, a branch of fruit hanging. Tantalus. Yep. So or tantalus, yeah. Yeah, because he tries to. Where the word up. tantalizing comes from. Yeah. <laughs> and that that makes sense because yeah, he mm-hmm. if he gets hungry and tries to reach up for the fruit, it moves away, and if he gets thirsty, he tries to bend down. Remember what he did to get that punishment? Uh, wasn't it something with like cannibalism? He or? fed his children and his wife to the gods at a dinner banquet. Yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's. Bet she didn't know what I did. <laughs> and then, what? <laughs> And then uh, wasn't there another one where there was a guy who was forced to run a race, but whenever he got almost to the, it's like if he got to the finish line, oh, um, probably. But it's like whenever he was getting almost to the finish line, it kept moving back, 
Oh, yeah, there was also another one. There were three, I think there was like three sisters that did some great crime. And they were told that if they could fill this tub of water, they'd be able to wash their sins away. But, of course, the tub mm -hmm. is full of cracks, so they can never get it full enough to wash their sins away. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I, you got to think that, yeah, that's pretty cruel because, you know, I, the way I understand it is that at least for some of these punishments, they were given some hope that eventually they would no longer be punished. It's just that but the game was at, fixed. Look at the crimes that they did yeah. against what were considered the ethical rules of society oh, yeah. that you just don't commit. And these people went against it anyway, knowing, well, whatever, we're going to, you know, thinking they were going to get away with basically tricking the gods. I mean, that's why Prometheus ended up tied to a rock with an eagle eating his liver every day, is he thought he was going to get away with tricking Zeus and company. That's that's how he ended up with that semi-eternal punishment, because yeah. eventually he got set free by you know, Hercules. Thanks, Hercules. But, yeah. So, <laughs> but... I mean, it's like there was nothing, but when you sit and look at it, nothing Hades did himself was inherently evil by the definition of evil. It's just, this was, these are the rules that are laid out. Either you broke them or you did something amazing. And the the dead, in his opinion, the dead should stay dead. You taking them away is interfering with the natural order of things because you could drink from Lez, which is the river of oblivion, wash your, your memory of your life away and be choose to be reborn. Well, if somebody decides to yank you out of your afterlife, you've just taken their choice to be reborn away. Leave the dead dead. I didn't know about that part because I remember hearing about because um, I thought, didn't the River Styx also take away your memories? Or the River I... Styx is highly caustic. The, ri <laughs> the River Styx, if you go through, uh, I'm trying to remember which of uh, the primary sources like starts and talk about it. Like the only thing that will not basically like disintegrate in the River Styx is like the hooves from certain horses. Hmm. Like if there's something about the, the the makeup of a horse hoof that does not like just fall apart in the river sticks it's extremely caustic because yeah achilles though i mean he wasn't he because wasn't he dunked it in the river sticks i don't know if he was dunked in sticks or something else one of the other ones i don't remember but sticks is extremely caustic okay because yeah i mean i at least i remember when uh learning about achilles that i was always told that but I, sticks is also what you swear oaths over though mm -hmm. um that's the one that like the gods will swear oaths over, and if you break an oath that you swore over the river Styx, like a god will go into a coma, and like they, you don't break oaths that were sworn over the river Styx. So, well, moving to the uh, next level that actually has a correspondence in real world mythology, and that is the Norse hell. Well, actually, they call it. This is where it gets a little confusing because in Manual of the Plains they refer to it as Niflheim. Now, whether hell resided in Niflheim or some scholars place a different realm, sometimes they call it hell, other times they call it, and spelled H-E-L, not yeah. H-E double hockey sticks, but uh, sometimes they'll call it like Helheim, mm -hmm. just to help differentiate between the place and the goddess. And there seems to be some confusion depending on which source you consult as to whether um, hell resides in Helheim, whether that's separate from Niflheim or whether it's a part of Niflheim. Um, there seem to be places where it, it could go either way, but 
I believe most Norse scholars, they place Niflheim and Hel as two separate, distinctly separate places, where Niflheim really wasn't pictured as being a place of torment. It was the realm of primordial ice and cold and mist. Mm -hmm. So, and presumably that's where the frost giants came from. And the, where Helheim was the realm where, and, and some people use the term dishonored dead. I personally don't like that term. Um, because most people who at least have some familiarity with Norse religion, okay, if you die in battle, you go up to Valhalla. You die in, well, you die of sickness or old age, or you don't die in battle, then, well, you go down to, um, down to, uh, you know, hell. And, again, it's not, well, there are some sources that say there is punishment for the wicked there. Uh, like, there, I forgot whether it was in the, Poetic Edda or the Prose Edda, I think it was the Prose Edda, um, where there was like a hall that had a river of swords and, mm -hmm. and knives, and murderers and thieves were forced to uh, spend eternity in this river, and then you had serpents blowing venom on them. Um, Sounds like a good time. Yeah, exactly. Lots of fun. Uh, and Did then Scotty come up with that one? <laughs> 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 you know the serpent over Loki. Oh yeah. <laughs> Actually, it took me a while to get there. Yeah. No, oh, that's slow, Al. <laughs> um, in my defense, I'm still recovering from vacations. So, okay. Yeah, it took me a while to. I, I thought you said Scotty for a second. Then it's like, oh, skull. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because um, again, another one of those things. After uh, the gods decide to imprison Loki, yeah. um, they. Scaldi placed a you know a serpent above his head, and it would drip venom on him. But so, anyways, so uh, the the whole dishonored dead thing. I guess I don't really um, agree with that because you know, yeah, it's for it obviously in you know the old Norse mentality, going to Valhalla where you could spend eternity feasting and fighting was more desirable. But hell for most people really isn't a place of punishment. Mm -hmm. um, it would be more akin to like Sheol from uh, Hebrew uh, folklore or uh, Tuwanla from uh, Finnish folklore, where it was more a place of, of quiet and, and stillness. It really wasn't, you know, unless you were really were a bad person, it really wasn't a place where you would get, you know, punishment. It was just, it was like the gray version of Valhalla, yeah. where. Uh, instead of this gold glittering hall, it was very dreary. Um, we do know a little bit about it from some of the poetic eddas, um, because uh, the Odin in the poem Baldur's Dreams uh, goes down to the edge of Hell's kingdom, well, f uh, to uh, speak with the spirit of a sorcerer, not a sorceress, a prophetess. Um, and then there's an, it also appears in another poem. Uh, okay, the name is escaping me. Um, but okay, this is bothering me. I should know this name. Um, okay, just had to stop. Just had to pause it there for a second because, like I said, I I, I couldn't remember the names. I was thinking Skinner at first, but that was actually uh, one of Freyr's um, servants or companions. But yeah, Hermod, because I knew the name sounded similar to Hermes, mm -hmm. but. Because uh, after Baldur was killed, um, Hermod uh, went down to Hell to see if they could 
if uh, Balder could be freed. But of course, Helwa didn't really want this, so she said if everyone in the world cried for him upon hearing of his death, then she would let him go. But uh, turns out there was one giantess, um, Thok, who wouldn't cry for him. It's like she said, I'll, I'll shed dry tears for Balder. And some people think that was just Loki in disguise. But so again, we have a very similar characteristic to Hades where he, you know, hell doesn't want people to leave her kingdom. Now, as far as how she got placed there, she was one of the three children of Loki and a giantess, uh, whose name I always forget, but um, she was often said to be half alive and half dead, and artistic representations have varied. Uh, I mean, you're probably familiar with the Marvel comics, how they picture her, you know, where it's like half of her face is black and then half is white, but there's others where they show half of her, you know, half of her body is you know, looks like a young woman, and the other half is like, either looks like a corpse or looks like an old lady. Or I saw one artistic representation where she appeared as a lovely woman from the waist up, and then the waist down, she was all rotted like a corpse. Well, so, like... yeah. <laughs> but, you know, again, it's not really uh, pictured too much as a place of punishment. Now, uh, one of the most noted scholars of Scandinavian studies, H.R. Ellis Davidson, she suggested that um, much of what we know about it comes from the Poetic Edda, which was written by an Icelandic poe, poet, uh, Snorri, and I think his last name is Stolyerson. Sturluson or something yeah, like that. Some, something yeah, something like that. Um, and she has suggested that Snorri may have been, uh, the way he maybe described hell the way he did is because it would make a perfect um, opposite to Valhalla. But he may have also been, you know, relying on, you know, his Christian uh, beliefs as well. Or another possibility she admitted is that he may have had access to a, a source material that, you know, is no longer, uh, no longer with us. Well, and he was also making financial pleas to the king of Norway and all that for his travels. And mm -hmm. if you look a lot into Snorri's personal motivations at the time that he was alive, yeah. you start looking going, so what will benefit into what he was writing and how? But <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, I, I don't know too much about his personal life. I know, he, I believe he was involved in somewhat in politics. Yeah, well, that's what he was like in Iceland and he was, there was the whole like, uh, there was a lot of politics going on between Norway and Iceland and um, and Sweden and all, all the Scandinavian countries had a lot of political drama at the time that Snorri <laughs> was around and when you're involved in politics and you want to travel and you generally write whatever the highest bidder wants to hear. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah cause, uh, and, and really one of the things that, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he was drawing upon some sort of poem or source that is now lost to us, because one of the things that was nice about what Snorri did, see around this time, um, the and even before, uh, the pop the position that most Christians took when uh, talking about you know pagan mythologies and religions was that you know those gods were uh, they were all either another name for the devil or they were just demons. Whereas Snorri took a bit different approach where he suggested that these, you know, gods of old were actually ancient heroes. 
And it's just that over time, their deeds began to become exaggerated. So he took a lot more respectful approach than most people have, have did at that time. Was he the one that suggested that Frere was the beginning of the, the line of Swedish kings? Was he the one that made that suggestion? I can't remember I where that came from. I think so. It was either him or it may have been Thor. Because he... See, one of the things that some Scandinavian... I know a lot of, like, Swedes, like, will assume that they're actually, like, descended from Frere because of, like, all this, like, stuff that's, like, if you go, if you, like, Google it, it's, like, really crazy. And I'm like, where did this start? <laughs> yeah, because it's been a while since I've read my copy of the, of the prose Edda, but I believe in his introduction, he tried to connect the Norse gods to the Battle of Troy, mm -hmm. where he suggested that... Um, there was a warrior, you know, Asa Thor, who had survived the battle and then migrated north. Um, and I think the rationale behind that is there was this tendency to try to find some way to connect your religion and culture to that of the, of the Holy Land um, or the Mediterranean so you would have an easier time. Dang Trojans. Yeah. <laughs> Just going everywhere, I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, that, that reminds me of Trojans. Um, have you ever been to the Bristol Renaissance Fair? Always. They, they, I don't know if they still do it, but there's this show they do called the Mud Show. I love the Mud Show. Yeah, where you had one guy who was the judge, and then you had the Trojans and the Spartans. Yep. And, they, you know, depending on what side of the, the theater you were sitting on, depending on whether you were Trojan or Spartan, and, you know, each one had their own little battle cry. Like, for Trojans, it was, Trojans, Trojans, we will never break, uh! mm -hmm. And then it's like, Sparta, Sparta, we make the earth quake, woo! <laughs> so, yeah, I don't I don't know if they still do it. It's they do the mud show, yeah. Like, they did the last time I was there. I didn't go this year, but... So, of course, no, uh, no double entendres in that Trojan one, right? Oh, no. So, so back to hell, uh, going from Trojan to hell. But um, yeah, because uh, I believe that's what Snorri and a lot of other writers did. They tried to find a way to connect their, you know, the ancient religion and cultures of their 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 countries somehow to the Mediterranean. So, um, other than that, we really don't know too much about um, hell from a lot of the sources we do have. Uh, I mean, it is known that. Um, she didn't want Balder to leave Hell, and again, she did make that deal with Hermod, where if you know everyone cried upon hearing the death of Balder, she would you know she would let him go. But again, she probably just like just like Hades knew damn well it wasn't going to happen. Exactly. So. <laughs> Maybe she was cons conspiring with Loki. You know, she, Dad. He is, so, <laughs> yeah, so Dad. Uh, yeah, when this this guy on Sleepnir, who's not Odin, comes up to you and uh, you know asks you to uh, cry, uh, yeah, don't. But. <laughs> Because as I recall, they were saying that um, when Hermod was riding to hell, it took, it was either seven or nine days, and he had to go through valleys that were so deep he couldn't see, you know, he couldn't see out of them. So uh, let's move on now to how it is pictured in Manual of the Plains. So the first layer, Oyanos, um, is pictured as a land of disease, very rocky, very barren, not a lot of, you know, plant life there. And it was it's dangerous to travel here because if you go through this, you know, I forgot however amount of time, but when you travel through the through Oyanos, there's like a 
chance that you're going to catch some sort of deadly disease. And it's ruled over by Anthraxis and the Oinodamons, which, as far as I could tell, Anthraxis really isn't based on a, a real No, it's world. just a disease. It's Anthrax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds <laughs> real, too. It's Anthrax. You're going to catch Anthrax, apparently. Yes. The only real-world deity they put here is uh, the Babylonian god Nurgle. Nurgle. Yep. Because of plagues. Yeah, because... the god of plagues and disease. <laughs> <laughs> and there is one thing they describe about it, which is actually quite... Um, which is actually quite uh, in agreement with mythology. wasn't thinking the right words there for a second, but they describe him as living in a city of seven domes. And each time you pass through a dome, you're forced to make a saving throw with a cumulative minus two penalty. And if you fail, you get trapped in, in the city. And that's one of the things they stress about Hades and Manual of the Plains is that this bleak grayness will eventually overtake you. And uh, the, it's also been suggested that the, the deities of the dead that are found here, they were once lawful deities, but they were just overtaken by the gray nature of the plane. And not only are they like wardens in a jail, but they're also prisoners as well. So that's kind of weird. They're both the jailer and the prisoner at the same time. And... You know, so if you go to the the seventh gate, well, now you're making your saving throw to minus fourteen penalty, and that's actually very true to uh, a story in Babylonian mythology, though it involves Ereshkigal, his wife. Yeah, well, he would say because Nurgle was not originally well, neither was Reshi. She was not originally an underworld goddess. She was abducted, and I can't remember what her first husband's name was. Uh, she was abducted. And then married in there, and then when what's his face died, and then which deity is this? Right, Re- Reshkigal, because okay, she Reshkigal. was not originally an underworld goddess originally either. She was abducted and then married down. Um, Nurgle was born in the underworld from the if depending upon which uh, the myth that I read the most from, uh, in, like in Lil, it's like he was born um, and then came. Was a, and then, uh, and then uh, he was sent down because of the whole descent of Anana thing and all that yeah. crap and blah 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 blah. But yeah, then um, there was all kinds of drama, and then he ended up marrying Rishkiel and yeah, because the the story of um, Ishtar's descent into the underworld, um, she had to pass through the seven gates, and each time she passed through the gate, she had to take off either an article of clothing or remove one of her objects of power. And I know I used to have a book that I used in my ancient Near East religions class that was dedicated and it was entirely about Inanna or Ishtar, depending on what name you're calling her about. And I know it had the poem in there. Um, I've got it. I've got a book with the poem and stuff in it at home. But and so yeah, she finally came, you know, before Ereshkigal, you know, naked and powerless. So again, symbolic of how. You know, everyone comes before you, death. Well, that's how you, you, you face death, the way you come into the world. Mm-hmm. Naked and afraid. <laughs> well, and without without anything, without mm-hmm. any power. Yeah, so it's like she, Ereshkigal, just hung her on a hook and led her there to die. And um, I believe it was Enki that arranged her rescue. It was either Enki or Enlil, because Enki wasn't the biggest fan of his daughter, sister, lover, 
Nana's parentage is confusing. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking it's Enki, but uh well not really getting into that now, but uh the way he arranged her rescue is that he created two mourners for her. Yeah. And gave, you know, one of them the 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 water of life and the other depending on the translation, some refer to it as the grass of life or the food of life or the bread of life. But they went down into to hell and they or not hell, they went down into Reshkigal's domain and, you know, she you know, their mourning and her actions actually caught her attention. And I think the reason Ishtar went down there in the first place is she wanted to take over the underworld. Something to do with Demuzi. No, wait. Well, that what? that came afterwards because I remember... Um, if it's my, all confusing. Inanna was so manipulative throughout mythology. She, like, got Nanki drunk and stole all the powers <laughs> and everything, and she was kind of a huge pain throughout mythology. because yeah, <laughs> the... The story I remember is that, because um, yeah, uh, Inanna, well, I'm Inanna or Ishtar, yeah. and I think the, her husband's name is, I think it's Dumuzi in Sumerian. In Tammuz. Tam, yeah. And when she was, okay, Rushgirl said, okay, the only way you can leave is you have to find someone to go down to take your place. Your place, yeah. And, you know, when she went back up to Earth, it, it actually has a lot of parallels to the the story behind Balder, how everyone was sad to hear um, about her descent into the underworld, but I guess uh, her husband was just kind of drunk and passed out, or yeah, she wasn't she wasn't too happy with him. So again, it goes into the whole seasonal myth how um, her husband being associated with fertility and agriculture, he has to spend part of the the year in the underworld. So again, it has that that certain parallel to the myth of Persephone. Um, so other than that, not really much is really. They don't really go into too much detail there about the the first level. They also mention a Hindu goddess, um, Ratri, though she, it said that she wanders between the layers. I mean, I don't know if you're. I've never heard of that particular, but there's so many. Like the Hindu pantheon is so vast, yeah, <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of deities. Yeah, and she she is the goddess of the night, so I suppose that kind of makes sense. Um, she's the sister of Usha, the goddess of the dawn. Um, and what I found is when I was doing a little research, she can be pictured as being benevolent, um, as she does grant safety and comfort in the night. Uh, and also she would protect against thieves. But some sources do depict her as being gloomy. Um, so that would fit into the way Hades is picturing in Manual of the Plains. But I guess if we are going to you know, try to go more accurate to the character of, or to the actual goddess of um, Ratri, I don't know if she would necessarily belong in a place like this. Because it seems that with her, her sister, they have, again, a not really an opposing relationship, but a complementary mm -hmm. one. Again, you have to have dawn to have, you have to have day to have night. So, uh, next is uh, Niflheim, which, as I was mentioning before, there is some debate as to whether uh, Niflheim and Helheim are the same place, or if they're just different parts of the same place. But the way they picture in a manual of the plains is it's a lot like northern Scandinavia. Cold, misty, 
and full of lots of pine trees. And they don't go into as much detail here. They, uh, I mean, they do mention, uh, of course, Hell being here. And like all of the, the death gods here, she wants to make sure that the dead stay where they belong. And then they call the lowest layer Pluton, as not to confuse it with the name of the actual layer itself. And again, they really don't go into too much detail. Uh, they do mention it being... Uh, a landscape dotted with black willows and dry, dying pulper, pulper trees, or poplar trees. Poplar, yeah. So I don't know. In, in Greek, uh, in Greek lore, is there anything symbolic with willows and poplars, or are they just trees that were common there? Just common, probably. It's just, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and as far as um, Tatarus and or Tartarus and uh, Elysium, again, they do place those as separate layers, so probably you'll do, yeah. you know, kind of do it at the own their own episodes one of these days where, you know, again, as you were mentioning, Elysium was where the heroes went, and then the, uh, and then uh, Tartarus where, the, you know, the pun people went to be punished, punished. and uh, isn't that also where they, because the way Manual of the Plains describes it, that's also where... Zeus imprisoned the Titans who were about that. He yes, defeated. like well, the like the Hecatonshires and the the Titans. Anybody that basically um, went against him um, in basically went against him and didn't ask for forgiveness and was granted during the the Titanomachy um, were imprisoned in Tartarus as well. So, yeah. Okay, and yeah, and as far as using it in an adventure and your campaigns, really about the only thing I could think is, and as we were talking about the different mythology, how in both um, Hell and Hades, there's stories about people trying to recover a dead person from there. Yeah. Um, so that would be one way, and I think it would be challenging to use it in an adventure because, again, they stress in this book that it has this this gray, bleak, atmosphere that just robs you of your will to live. Think of it like in uh like never ending story with a treyu in the oh, in the, the swamp. The, yeah. the, the, was it the swamps of sadness? <laughs> oh it's so sad <laughs> Yeah, the swamp of uh swamp yeah, sadness or misery, one of the yeah. two there. Yeah, his poor horse gets sucked under. Oh that was oh, sad. Oh man, that kills me still, man. Right in the heart, right, right in the feels. Right in the feels. Right yep. in the feels for Chad. Right in the feels. <laughs> <laughs> a moment of silence for, for yeah. For, raise for our glasses for a Treyu's horse. For, for, for our tax. <laughs> it's you know it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. So. Oh my god. Yeah, I have it on. I have it on DVD. We need to have like an '80s movie day. I think is what we need. So yeah, watch that and Labyrinth and and Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal, yeah. Actually, I really did like Dark Crystal. I mean, I I think I saw part of it as a kid and it kind of scared me. It was weird. It was a weird movie. Yeah. And I don't know. I guess I just the the atmosphere and the design of it. It had almost like a very well, not really dark, but almost for some reason, it almost reminded me of a post-apocalypse. 
mm-hmm. uh, type thing because it seemed that for most of the journey it was this kind of barren, rocky landscape. Well, I remember I was talking to my mom, and this is kind of actually a little bit relevant when you think about like D and D now, like to like mm-hmm. for like how like things are now to when we were kids. Like if you've watched Stranger Things, for example, oh, yeah. those kids playing D and D, look at how like they were like phased by nothing, like they're fighting all that stuff. And like when we were kids, nothing scared us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like kids' movies when we were kids would be terrifying to children now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Secret of Nim, that movie, I watch it now and I go, this is terrifying to kids at my age when that movie came out. To watch it now would be ki- terrifying to six-year-olds. I watched it and I was wrapped like, this is amazing. Yeah, and what about, um? I mean, Labyrinth? Labyrinth wasn't I, as bad as The yeah. Dark Crystal. The yeah. Dark Crystal would have been terrifying to kids now. For my, when I, growing up, I thought it was so great. Like, I used to annoy my wife after we... uh. We watched that because there's, I forgot what they were called, like the the evil counterparts to the good thing. The Skeksis? Yeah. Where you had the one like, mm-hmm. Skeksis. Challenge of the Bleed! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was it Challenge of the Stone or something? Or, something yeah. like that, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, in Labyrinth, I even had a, a D&D group once we, our dungeon master was trying to take us on like a D&D version of Labyrinth. Nice. So that was interesting. That sounds like something you would probably enjoy playing. Probably, yeah. You know, and of course, to, you know, behold the wonder of David Bowie's crotch. The package. I'll hail the package. The late David Bowie. Gotta take (laughs) Raise my Arizona tea to David Bowie. Raise my cup of water to David, the late great David Bowie, Jareth, and the miraculous codpiece. Dance, magic, dance. Those magic, magic pants. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now that we've gotten a little bit of off topic going into 80s movies, but still, I mean, I think you do make a good point how... um, I mean, I maybe this might be a topic best explored for another time, but, you know, yeah, looking back, I do see how some of those movies that were aimed towards kids would be, I don't know if they would get the same rating nowadays. I think they've influenced how our generation creatively creates, like, say, game campaigns and stuff because they were so much more fantastical than a lot of the stuff kids are watching now. So I think that might be something to explore in the future. Because, I mean, you look at the stuff we grew up with, like the original Hobbit movie, like the animated oh, yeah. stuff. Look at the stuff we grew up with. Clash, um, the original Clash of the Titans. Oh, all which, the Henry Housen films. Like, you know what I mean? like Yeah, and um, uh, what was the other one? But, yeah, I mean, I know for uh, Clash of the Titans, what was the guy? He, he had, like, the, his hand got cut off and he replaced it with a trident. Um, but he was, like, one of the main um, antagonists in that. Was that in Clash of the Titans? Are you sure? That yeah, the it? original one. There's the, um, there's the, there's that one guy. Yeah, I know that. Helps, <laughs> that one guy. That one that guy. That one guy. Thanks, Al. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he was pictured as being Medusa's son or maybe like a son of Hera, but he was all like devilly and stuff. And oh, okay, okay. Um, now I know who you're talking about. Uh, what's his name? Begins with an M, I think. Um. Okay, so yeah, this is this that is guy a, right there. I see his picture. What's yes, his name? we're doing a Google search here. So, um, let's see. The one that was supposed to marry Andromeda, Calabas. That's what his name. Calabas. Calabas. Okay. I was wrong by the M. It was Calabas. <laughs> okay, but yeah, that I mean that one I remember, and I, I mean even though now I mean. Yeah, of course, I you know today's audiences are going to look at the, you know, back at those special effects and think, oh, how cheesy. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, those those knocked my socks off when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I remember seeing uh, Clash of the Titans when I was young, and it yeah, it didn't bother me at all. And so I wonder if one of the reasons that these uh, more fantasy movies were so popular back then is because we we look back at the the general atmosphere of the 80s where yeah we had all this you know wonderful cheesy pop music but it was also during the ending years of the cold war where you know there were people that uh you know thought the russians were going to nuke us at any day now Mm -hmm. so you know we kind of needed that you know that escapism um and when i uh talked about british rock on uh, when I was helping Chad and Lou with musically challenged, we went into a little bit of that too. How um, you know a lot of the British heavy metal was you know kind of born in this era where there was a depression. You know there was this limited economic opportunity. So while some people turned to the political activism of punk rock, there were people that preferred the more escapism and that you saw in heavy metal. Wow, just having a nice 80s flashback today, aren't we? Well, yeah, but I mean, you're right, though. I mean, when you think about it, especially, like, creatively speaking, and then, like, at the same time you have that, you also had some of, we also grew up with, or some of, like, the nerdy stuff was taking over, because you watched, like, in, like, say, the Brat Pack films, you always had the one nerdy kid. Mm-hmm. The one, like, like really, really nerdy kid that was, that would come out of it. Or then, like, remember Adventures in Babysitting? That was where girls were suddenly allowed to be nerdy because the little girl was reading Thor comics, and she was really, that. really into Thor. Like, to the point where she went up to some stranger and insisted he was Thor. And it was, like, for little girls that were into comic books, it was, like, this is, like, cool for us. It was just... That was, like, the thing in the 80s, like, for our generation. So. Yeah, I remember that scene. There was that big, um, the muscular bur- blonde guy that had the big hammer. Because, he, well, he was in the auto body shop working yeah. on their vehicle. I remember that. Yeah, she thought <laughs> she, she like, thought insisted he was Thor. that he was Thor. I know the problem is you don't have your helmet. <laughs> she takes hers off and gives it to him. <laughs> so, oh, yes. And, and I'm sure that we could do an enti- easily do an entire episode just on 80s films. And just looking back at the 80s and, you know, not just movies but pop culture and music and and all that but as i always like to say and for those of you playing the drinking game which i haven't fully written yet that's a topic for another day take a sip everybody so i'd like to thank you for joining us today dawn and thank you for helping me with this episode and uh yeah i know we got a little sidetracked at the end that's what happens when i'm around yeah it's always fun to talk about (laughs) the 80s and and again some of it was kind of relevant Mm -hmm. to the the topic but I'd like to thank you all for joining us and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are, and uh, happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.